Episode 49 of War in the Book of Mormon, Part 10.2 Conclusion and Specific Spiritual Lessons Mormon's Pattern of Successful Conflict, the Battle of Manti, and the Amalekiahite War We end at the beginning by establishing the assertion of Mormon's thesis from Mormon chapter 3, verses 20 to 22. Quote, And these things doth the Spirit manifest unto me. Therefore I write unto you all, and for this cause I write unto you, that ye may know that ye must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, yea, every soul who belongs to the whole human family of Adam. And ye must stand to be judged of your works, whether they be good or evil. And also that ye may believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which ye shall have among you. And also that the Jews, the covenant people of the Lord, shall have other witness besides him whom they saw and heard, that Jesus whom they slew was the very Christ and the very God. And I would that I could persuade all ye ends of the earth to repent and prepare to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Close quote. This is Mormon's purpose for abridging the work that we have as the Book of Mormon. To accomplish and demonstrate his purpose, we each need to reflect and remember that he chose as his primary teaching vehicle armed conflict. Through armed conflict, he emphasized three primary points. I now want to highlight the three points of focus for Mormon, unity, covenants, and preparation, and to discuss how we can liken them to ourselves. I will also include some of what I consider to be the standard answers, like those often shared in Sunday school or seminary classes. Then this podcast will conclude with lessons taken specifically from the Battle of Manti. Remember, Mormon was a professor of applied history. Here are some of his applications. I want to inform you that all opinions and suppositions expressed in what follows are entirely mine and in no way reflect the positions, opinions, or policies of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Unity the Consolidated Settlement is detailed in 3 Nephi chapters 3 and 4 and discussed in episode 43 or part 7.6 of this podcast series. This campaign is the example of complete physical and conceptual unity. What can we learn from this example? Why were the Nephites successful? The standard general Sunday school answers include the following. Go to church gather together, unify, say prayers, repent, read scriptures for spiritual nourishment. The specific answers for the consolidated settlement include the following. Listen to the prophet. The Nephites had two prophets at that time, Gidgadoni and Laconius, and they needed to listen to both, or in today's world, all of the prophets. The Nephites and believing Lamanites gathered everyone into a single location. They brought lasting, or what we could call eternal, nourishment. In the consolidated settlement, it was seven years' worth of provisions. The number seven is important, as it often implies completeness, or, in our context, eternal. 
They made armor, weapons, and fortifications of every kind. This is shorthand to tell us to refer back to the detailed explanations of earlier stories and serves as a reminder to us that we must be versatile in our skills, tools, and abilities to fight the opponent. They repented and prayed together multiple times. They did not concede the land to the enemy. They went out to battle and fought Satan rather than huddled in their fortifications. This is a great lesson about the need for us to be out in the battle rather than waiting secure in our homes while Satan destroys the surrounding lands. Satan must be pursued when he flees. Many times, Satan withdraws when confronted, only to re-engage later and more successfully. We need to pursue and defeat him when he is weakened. We must forgive and allow those who repent to return to the community of Christ. These are all examples of some of the lessons that I have learned from this great example of unity in the Book of Mormon story. Covenants The story of the sons of Helaman takes place over many battles in the Nephite Western Campaign of Reconquest of the Amalekiahite War and is detailed in the letter from Helaman II as expressed in the Book of Alma, chapters 56 to 58, and discussed in episodes 30, 32, and 33, or parts 6.5, 6.7, and 6.8 of this podcast series. The story of the sons of Helaman is as much a story about their mothers as it is about the sons. Who were these women? Where did they come from? Why were the sons of Helaman successful? The standard general Sunday school answers include the following. To have family home evening. To have family scripture study. Honor covenants. Obey commandments. The mothers of the stripling warriors or sons of Helaman were women who entered a covenant to be saints. They watched as their male relatives buried their weapons of war. They knelt in prayer as they listened to the screams of their friends and family members who were butchered because they would not deny that very covenant. They welcomed some of the butchers who repented into their community. They withstood a second series of attacks and slaughter. They agreed to go to the land of Zarahemla, where they thought they were going to become Nephite slaves. They lost everything in this displacement, except what they could carry on their backs. They built new homes in Jershon, then had to leave them for the land of Melek. These were women who had suffered horribly for their covenants, and yet their sons believed the testimony of these women in terms of the blessings and power which come from making and honoring covenants. Think of the young men who might have had a different view, who might have seen the covenant as a curse and not a blessing. The power of the teaching of these women is the strength of this story. The faithful example set by these mothers of what it means to keep one's covenants combined with the subsequent faith it developed in their sons made those young men invincible on the battlefield. They enjoyed real strength as a result of the teaching of their mothers. Preparation Preparation is necessary for salvation. 
Mormon placed a great deal of emphasis on this topic, especially in telling of the experiences of Moroni. This preparation comes in a personal and community form. The preparation goes hand in hand with Paul's armor of God metaphor. Why was Moroni successful? The standard general Sunday school answers include the following. He fortified or strengthened self through study. He fortified or strengthened others through service. He continued to improve fortifications. You could call this enduring to the end. He did not effectively say all is well in Zarahemla. By this I mean that Moroni was always busy improving his position, which should be true of all soldiers. Moroni's preparation combined personal armor with continued improvement and faith to fully protect the Nephite soldier. His protection of the community was a combination of fortification and improvements. Moroni did not rest on his laurels. Even when successful, he improved. This is a challenge in leadership at any level, but this continual preparation is what it takes to be a soldier of Christ. Mormon gave three great sermons in the Book of Mormon, sermons that were his and not the instruction of Jesus Christ or the teachings of Alma II or Abinadi. As was his interest and his ability, these three sermons came in the form of military actions or battles, campaigns, and wars. His first such sermon was the Battle of Manti that is shared in Alma chapters 43 and 44 and is discussed in some detail in episode 20 or part 5.1 of this podcast series. His second sermon was the Amalekiahite War, which is told in Alma chapters 56 through 62, and takes up from part 5.2 through all 12 episodes of part 6, or from episodes 21 to 37 of this podcast series. The third sermon was the Gadianton Robber War that covers many decades and various chapters across the books of Helaman and 3rd Nephi, and all of part 7 of this podcast series. Each of these sermons address several important points and lessons that I have hit on in the previous episodes, but I want to summarize here. The Battle of Manti There is no single military event that stands out in greater contrast to the historical facts than does the Battle of Manti. The amount of space that Mormon dedicated to this relatively unimportant battle clearly marks this as a battle of great importance for students of the Book of Mormon. Even though the fighting in question in and around Manti did not occur during the Amalekiahite War, That war, like the Battle of Manti, stands out as Mormon's great large-scale example of his war metaphor. As previously stated, the Battle of Manti encapsulates all of Mormon's three points of emphasis, unity, covenants, and preparation. They are emphasized in the order we typically perform them. First, we prepare ourselves, then we enter covenants, and finally we achieve unity. As we tend to these elements in both a sequential and a simultaneous fashion, they are also presented the same way in the recorded events. In the battle narrative of Manti, the covenants come in three forms, two by inference and one specifically stated. 
The inferred covenants are first the covenant of obedience to God that Mormon tells us in Alma 60.34 that Moroni made, and second is the covenant that must have been made between Moroni and Lehi too, allowing both men to act with such faith and conviction. The third covenant is the explicitly stated covenant made by Zarahemna in reference to his surrender as recorded in Alma 44, 15, and 20. The men of Moroni entered the first battle of Jershon with complete armor that had not been seen by the Lamanites before. Mormon used a historical reference to teach the same principle as did Paul in his epistle to the Ephesians, as in Ephesians 6, verses 11 to 18, about putting on the whole armor of God. The warriors were well prepared, a result of hundreds of hours of labor, all done before the battle and while the people lived in peace. This is a crucial point. Prepare for conflict in times of peace. Moroni did not simply trust in his own devices to learn where the Lamanites were traveling. Moroni took the correct tactical action when he sent spies to learn about the Lamanite march, and he also sent spies to seek the wisdom of Alma too, a prophet of God. Moroni didn't simply settle for the world solution, which usually results in answers that come too late, leaving one with only one option, to clean up the mess, or in a spiritual sense, to repent. Alma too told him where the battle would be, and Moroni moved there accordingly, and only once there did he receive the reports of his terrestrial spies. The message from Moroni's experience is that when we seek and follow the counsel of the prophet, we can prevent sin's destruction in our own lives and help others stay protected in theirs. It is my position that Moroni did not simply seek the guidance of the prophet, but that he also knew about the life of the prophet and his experiences and sought to use the lessons from Alma II's success for his benefit. In this case, Mormon knew of the earlier battle of Sidon Crossing that is related in Alma chapter 2, verses 27 to 35, and Moroni also knew of the importance of the river crossing in that great victory. I think that Alma II, in his answer to the inquiry from Moroni's servants, might have referred back to the previous event and counseled about the importance of the river in the battle. Regardless of how the lessons of the past were passed along, it seems that Moroni knew of them and used those lessons to aid his current fight. It is another supposition of mine that Moroni did not wait in Jershon for the answers, but that he began to take action to the best of his ability so that he would be in the best position possible to act on the guidance that came from the prophet. These are all crucial lessons. Learn about the prophet's example. Seek the counsel of the prophet in important decisions. Make the best decision you can and act on what you already know. Follow the guidance from the prophet. Once in the area of Manti, Moroni further prepared the battlefield to set the stage for success by providing for warning of the approaching enemy in order to prevent surprise. He divided and assigned his own forces to ensure the best possible chance for success. This was a well thought out plan that involved a great deal of risk. This is also critical in understanding the Lord. 
He asks us to take risks in his service. But these are risks that one can, should, and must mitigate through preparation and listening to the prophet as Moroni did. I believe that Moroni and Lehi too made a covenant to fulfill their assignments and to support each other. This covenant ensured a unity of purpose that was essential for victory in this battle. This commitment to the overall plan allowed their vastly outnumbered army to overwhelmingly defeat a larger Lamanite force even as the Nephite force was divided and outnumbered in every part of the battle. Moroni was not content with the force he had. He called up the local people to defend their own homes. The lesson here is crucial in that when fighting battle, we need to enlist the help of everyone possible, not just the warriors we see as peers. Also, the seemingly weak and inexperienced can make a difference in our lives. In fact, they may be the difference in turning the enemy around when it seems like the battle may be lost. The enemy wants our eternal destruction and damnation. Therefore, it is no sin to have a stratagem that allows us to hit him when he is weak, divided, and confused. One needs to seek the opportunity to divide the opponent and therefore fight only a portion in each engagement. Find those times that are most perilous for the enemy and strike then. Surrounding the enemy does not mean that one does so from a consolidated position. It is possible to surround the opponent when the group functions with a unity of purpose cemented through covenants. Lehi too and Moroni surrounded Zarahemna, even though they began the battle in very different places and physically separated by a river. This is a powerful image in that division and separation do not have to be disunity. Once Satan has been engaged, one cannot give him room to escape. He needs to be surrounded and relentlessly driven to despair. This must be done with constant engagements from all of one's supporters at once. Leaders in this case need to serve the most at such times, as those who are struggling to surround and drive Satan to despair will almost certainly face despair themselves. They need to be reminded why they are struggling, to be encouraged that victory is at hand, and to feel confident that those who are with them are mightier than those who are against them, as was stated by the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 6.16. Too often we get caught up in the struggle itself rather than remembering that there is a purpose to all of this. The purpose of the struggle is to stand clean before the judgment seat of Christ. This is about defeating Satan and not about destroying the children of God. When Satan finally flees the battlefield, he must do so unarmed. This is a clear reference to the crucial importance of the full meaning of repentance. One needs to turn away from the sinful path completely and walk the straight and narrow path with full purpose of heart. This is not a time for half measures. The dialogue between Moroni and Zarahemna provides an excellent example of the way that Satan will seek to justify his actions and encourage us to turn back at our moment of triumph in half measures. Mormon's lesson screams out, Do not do it. Be stalwart in victory and demand complete and cleansing surrender. 
Finally, the battlefield needs to be cleared of all the reminders of the battle and the sin of which one has just repented. One cannot walk away leaving a battlefield littered with bodies and flotsam of the conflict to provide future reminders of one's past sins and weakness. Rather, the cleansing of the battlefield makes it once again a place where growth can occur. The complete lessons coming from this battle are important as they really do lay out a profound and important path for one to walk and return to be with Christ and his Father. The Amalekiahite War While the Battle of Manti provides the ultimate metaphor in which to examine Mormon's three key elements of preparation, unity, and covenants, the Amalekiahite War provides a stunning comparison between the soldier of Christ, that being Moroni, and Satan himself, or Amalekiah. In many ways, this war and the lessons one can draw from it build on the battle narrative and lessons associated with Manti. From Amalekiah, we can learn how Satan uses promises and enticements to lead others to follow him. No matter how grandiose Satan's promises and how wonderful his promised blessings and future rewards, like Amalekiah, he is only interested in supporting and advancing himself. All others are simply tools for Satan's glory. The anecdote about Amalekiah slaying the Lamanite king in Alma chapter 47 is a poetic teaching tool to demonstrate how Satan would use his influence to overthrow God if it were in his power to do so. One must prepare for conflict and difficulty while in a time of peace. This is the same lesson as from Manti, but Mormon described it in a larger scope as Moroni did not only build fortified communities, but he also cleared out areas that might pose future threats. Note that Mormon builds on the individual lesson of armor protection in Manti to make a lesson of collective and societal security or fortifications. There is also the important point of removing from our life future threats, cleaning out the material that may not tempt us now, but that fails to meet the test of the 13th article of faith that says in part, and I quote, if there is anything virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy, we seek after these things, close quote. Those things that fail this test pose a future threat. One of the great lessons coming from the Amalekiahite War is the importance of learning from success and making the necessary adjustments for greater success in the future. The battles at Ammonihah and Noah related in Alma chapter 49 verses 1 to 25 serve as great factories of learning. Learning and improving from success is atypical in military history as most organizations that do learn in combat tend to learn from failure. In spiritual living, this is of paramount importance. We do not wish to have a failure before we can learn, since a failure means a potential lost soul. The improvements to fortifications that came after the Second Battle of Noah resulted in impressive complex fortifications. Amalekiah showed a great capacity to learn and adjust, as does Satan. He attacked from both within and without, and he trained his warriors based on the lessons learned from their failures. 
we face a thinking, intelligent, and adaptive opponent. He will learn, and so must we. Our plans must allow for mistakes and still provide places of resort where we can be protected and prepare for the next battle. These preparations and plans support the strength of the covenants that bind us all to God and to each other. The single greatest example comes in the lives and battlefield exploits of the sons of Helaman II as they fought in the western theater of the war. Moroni also emphasized covenants over and over again as he entered them, caused others to enter them, and trusted in their efficacy as he released prisoners who entered into them. Unity is a common theme. Amalekiah sought to destroy unity by seeking his own place as king through conspiracy. He overthrew the king of the Lamanites by subversion and murder. He sought and promoted division and subversion among the Nephites by promoting the kingmen against the governor and his supporters, and he used the division to attack and achieve success. This serves as a window into the plans and tactics of Satan. He will do and seeks to do the same things. Moroni emphasized unity by focusing first on defeating the internal Nephite division. He previously caused all to enter covenants to support an ideal of behavior, service, and government, which we know as the title of liberty. He also regularly sought ways to reconsolidate and mass his forces by surrounding the enemy or drawing them away from their positions of strength and to use loyal and faithful companions to work in concert for victory. Gadianton Robber War The third great sermon from Mormon involves a series of engagements, battles, and campaigns across decades and generations of people. It is the fighting of our day. We live in a Gadianton robber world where people, groups, organizations, and states seek to subvert the commandments of God, seek to cause people to violate their covenants, and to divide the members of the community of Christ. They do so from without, amongst, and within the community of believers. They use logic, emotion, changes in law, and compelling violence to achieve their ends. The Gadianton robbers of the Book of Mormon were never one thing. Never. They were always many things. They were thieves, assassins, thugs, murderers, drug dealers, terrorists, oligarchs, tech moguls, politicians, non-state actors, international organizations, and state and local government officials, and states as entities. The Book of Mormon describes the corruption and perversion that occurs when people become enamored with the promises of wealth and power through those who seek such outside the preparation, covenants, and unity associated with God. The ways to defeat the Gadianton robbers have been addressed in part previously in this episode and in part seven of this podcast series. They were defeated in the past, but it was done by unity unity with Christ as individuals through obedience to covenants and with the assistance of the Holy Ghost, and unity with Christ as a group through covenants to serve and sacrifice and bear burdens. It required the individual armor and weapons as well as the collective protection through fortifications and nourishment. Conclusion 
The lessons we can draw from the details in the Book of Mormon have lasting and real value for how we live our lives. The details of the conflict, from the variety of weapons and armor, to the complexity of fortifications, to the strategies and techniques used, are placed in the book because of their application to assist us in returning to Christ. The discussion in this episode is designed to demonstrate how the details can be used and applied. Each battle and all of the military-related details have reasons for their placement and appearance in the Book of Mormon. This same analysis and application is possible with all of them. When a reader follows this method of applying the details, then the full value of the Book of Mormon comes to life. Mormon gave us his armed conflict metaphor to help identify how to use preparation, covenants, and unity to achieve our eternal goal and desire, exaltation, or to live as God lives for eternity. Let us all gain the full benefit of this glorious book and the inspired guidance it provides. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast series. It has been a labor of love and interest. I have read the Book of Mormon over and over again for more than 40 years. I have read it many times in excess of 100 over that time frame. It is powerful and it changes lives. This podcast is intended to expand each person's appreciation of that book of scripture by illuminating, in part, some of the details associated with what I believe to be Mormon's metaphor of armed conflict. I hope this has been of interest and benefit to you. I most strongly hope that it will be of value to my children and grandchildren for whom this is most especially intended. Like Mormon, who knew that at least one person would read what he wrote, that being his son Moroni, I hoped that at least my immediate family would gain some benefit, and I wanted to make this available to them in its entirety. I want to thank Bill Welch, who created and recorded the music I use for opening and closing. I also want to thank my wife, Sherry, for her continued support and feedback. Everything I have done has been in partnership with her. Thank you. I hope that as you have listened, you have realized that this is the only discussion of the military history of the Book of Mormon ever written or recorded. Maybe this will inspire more, and that more will lead many others to deeper and more profound understanding of the Book of Mormon. At least that is what I hope. If you have questions, comments, or feedback, I would love to hear it, and I invite you to reach out and contact me on Facebook at War in the Book of Mormon or at War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com. All one word, War in the Book of Mormon at gmail.com.